0: Welcome to the Parenting for Faith podcast. My name is Rachel Turner, and I'm going to be talking to you today about the power of the follower. We're going to have some uh, questions, two questions today, one about apathetic teens, one about how to explain things to kids about God healing some people and others uh, not getting healed, and how do we talk about that? And then we're also going to have a section called HMPF, which is, uh, I don't know, a bit of research that I thought was really interesting. And so today we're talking about a brief thought about the the history of children's ministry. So it's all go today. But first, we're going to start off with a complaint of mine, because why did it turn cold? When did that happen? Is it just me? But like yesterday, I was on a beach somewhere. And today I brought out my winter jumper and I'm sad. So I just want to take a moment to connect with you about my feelings about the temperature. And now I'm ready to move on. The power of a follower, I wanted to talk to you today. I was uh, talking to a teen recently, and he was saying about how uh, he's not sure what to do because uh, he's, he's not a leader, he said. And uh, I was really struck by that because I thought... So, like, being a leader isn't the end-all and the be-all of everything that you could possibly be. And he, he seemed to feel like, unless he was a leader, he couldn't affect any change. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't be useful uh, because he, he wasn't a natural leader. And I was just reflecting on how much we overprize leadership. There's only a few of us really called to leadership, but we're all called to be followers uh, of Jesus. And being a follower is actually way more powerful than we think. And it's really important, I think, for our kids to get this. I was watching a TED Talk the other day, which I love. I'm a sort of addictive TED Talk watcher. And uh, I was watching a TED Talk, and uh, this fascinating one came on. It's called Lessons from a Dancing Guy. Lessons from a Dancing Guy... (laughs) This is hilarious. Google it if you want. I cannot vouch for the language. I can't remember. But uh, it was a, a TED Talk, and uh, he was showing a video of this guy who was dancing all on his own at a music festival, and um, he was in very tiny shorts and was just dancing away. And uh, the story behind it is this guy had been dancing for like 20 minutes, and within the span of like two minutes or something, this this guy went from random dancing guy to a big crowd of over 100 people dancing, you know with abandon. And uh, as you watch the video progress, it's just a video of this one random guy. And at some point, somebody jumps in and starts like, woo, dancing right next to him. And then a third person joins. And for a couple of seconds, it's just those three. And it looks like this is just not going anywhere, and then a fourth person joins in, and a fifth person joins in, and then groups join in, and it, it went from one random guy who was on his own for 20 minutes to this big, pumping crowd of people, and he asks the question, who made that happen? And he argues that it was the first follower, the first one who jumped in and made the guy on his own not alone anymore, and he gave the boldness for the third guy to join in, and the the those those small group made a space for the others and he was he was arguing for the power of the follower and i think it's really really important that we raise that with our kids, that it's not all about being the leader. It's not always about being a leader for your friends and a leader in your school. Sometimes you being a key follower, being wise with how you follow is incredibly significant, both as a Christian and as an individual in this society, where we put our weight as followers is incredibly, incredibly important. There's more about this uh, in a book called Parenting Children for Life of Purpose. It's a whole book about how to help our kids find their purpose. And we talk about this in it, and it's going to be re-released in the new omnibus that's coming out if you want to look at it. But for now, I just wanted to ask the question, how do we show kids the power of their role? And it all comes back to framing. We talk about framing a lot in Parenting for Faith, saying, this is what you're looking at, kids. And I think we've trained our kids to see leaders a lot. And we prize superheroes who are these leaders who do accomplish these great things. And we look to the leaders of nations. And we look to the people who are uh, in charge of committees. And we, we point our kids to all of these leaders and say, those are the significant people. And we do that, I think, disproportionately. Because in everyday life, often it's the followers that are the most significant. It is the people who are part of the team that are doing it. And that's who we are as part of the body of Christ, as part of a team. In everyday life, in movies, in books, we can reframe what they see. What if we started talking to our kids about the non-leaders? So I asked my friends to tell me, who could we point to as key followers and key team members who actually made all the difference in our movies and stories and life that we see around us? Have a listen. James Bond has got loads of psychics that save the day repeatedly. So you've got Q, who gives him all the stuff that gets him out of all of his situations. You've got Moneypenny, who fixes loads of stuff up behind the scenes. You've got M, who's blatantly pulling the strings when he doesn't know. James Bond is nothing without his sidekicks. In the Narnia Chronicles, um, at different points, each of the Pevencies is the hero. And when Lucy first goes into Narnia through the wardrobe, she's the hero. And then later on when Peter's doing all the fighting, he's the hero, and they all take their different turns, but actually none of them could do it without each other. And they need the Beavers, and they need Mr. Tumnus, and they need Reaper Cheap, and all the other characters who help them out to achieve anything at all. So in Death in Paradise there's a whole team of them but there's one guy who takes the lead and he's the the main detective and they all go around and they do the work behind the scenes and they uh, do all the research behind it and then they all feed back to him the, the research that they've done and our main character, he will click over something that one person has said and he will come to the conclusion, jump to that conclusion but without all the work of done by his team there's no way they could ever solve the murder. If you think about... Uh, every sports star in the world, for example, Cristiano Ronaldo, um, Roger Federer, uh, Harry McKay, Harry Kane, um, they've all got a team behind them and they've all got coaches, they've all got physiotherapists, they've got a medical team. Uh, they all support this one player to play at his best and he won't be able to play at his best without these players, without these people around him and that's why psychics are important. Okay, when I was a child, I grew up on the watching the nineteen seventies version of Batman and Robin, and in Batman and Robin, Batman punched people, but it was Robin who did all of the thinking, and um, who's the other guy? The Alfred. Alfred, Alfred also is is saving them from stuff, and uh, so it's it's Robin and Alfred with Batman the sidekick, really because. Alfred and Robin—they're the ones that come up with the ideas and solve the and use the technology and and give him and tell him and solve all the clues—and Batman just goes, "All right, let's go kick some butt." <laughs> I'm sure you can think of many more. There are so many different ways that we can praise the team and we can frame for our kids uh, that we can criticize leaders who are taking all the credit. You know, all those times that we see movies where everyone praises a leader and we can just pause and say, why is nobody going amazing team that you have? We can use the media that's around you to affirm teams and followers who are crucial. Create windows into your life whenever you're leading something. Talk about how essential the people who are supporting you and showing up. Up and following you are to the movement that you are involved in. Praise your kid when they're an awesome team member or facilitating somebody else's worthy leadership when they follow God in a way that has an impact on others. Every kid is important in the body of Christ. Some are to lead, others are to explore and pioneer, but all of us are called to be powerful followers and we can start framing that for our kids and the world around you. every week we try to take some questions from uh, you, essentially. So uh, if you want to ask a question to have me attempt to answer it uh, in my way, then uh, please uh, put it on Facebook, our Facebook page, our Parenting for Faith BRF Facebook page. Please email it in through our Contact Us details on the Parenting for Faith website. Get in touch because we would love to hear from you. And uh, we would love to answer your questions and see what it is. So we had this great question come in from a very bold parent, and it said this, I would like something about how to inspire apathetic teens, especially those who don't want to think deeper. My boys, 13 and 11, do join us in running groups for unchurched kids and love that, but they don't really want to talk God's stuff at other times and sometimes give silly answers in church groups. Thank you so much for sending in this question. It's very personal, and I think everyone who has a teenage kid at some point uh, may have asked this question to themselves, so thank you for sending it in. Uh, I'm just going to give you my suggestions. I'm sure you may have tried some of these before, so I apologize if uh, if I'm telling you stuff you already uh, know or have thought. Um, teens are in a transition. They're going from being our kids and, and looking up to us and sort of folding into our... Um, our sort of world to trying to discover who they are standing on their own and gaining their independence. And all of our parenting goes through a transition through this 11 to 14 phase of helping our kids grow in independence. And, And our spiritual parenting does the same thing. And so as teens transition from coming alongside of us to wanting to be more independent in their walk alongside of us, they sometimes uh, get more private. And that can uh, look apathetic from the outside. Um, but sometimes what it is, is is them becoming more introspective and more separate from us. And so we can't quite get inside what's going on in their head. And they begin to sort of passively resist us. If they, if they in the past, we're used to sort of having those conversations. If they want to be more in their heads, they can resist. Sometimes they resist by just being quiet. Sometimes they resist by uh, just giving us one word answer. Sometimes they resist by being silly. Uh, and some of that's just a reflection of them figuring out a new power dynamic between parent and kid and, and them deciding what they want to talk about and not talking about. But I, I, I would encourage you to believe that God is working on them and that their journey with God is happening. They're just more internal right now. And as we shift into helping that growth of independence, we can really um, push into that and partner with that and and be significant in their spiritual life because uh, they're trying to figure out what their independent life with God looks like. And we can totally partner with that by one, showing our independent life with God, by letting them see what it looks like for me and all my quirks and how I talk to God about this and how I rant to God about that and how I don't like reading books with him, but I do like being out in the sunshine with him and just just letting them see how quirky your life with God looks like would be really helpful. But also saying, you know what, how I do it is so different from my friend. Look at him. he's He goes on bike rides with God. It's totally different than me. I could never do that. And just illustrating to them how different everyone's independent life with God looks like is a really useful tool because it lets them see uh, what's going on in other people's lives. You can also ask their advice on the quirkiness of you, get their input into your life sometimes they're more willing to talk about your life than theirs the other thing that you can do is to help them find their own unique place you can thank them for helping you on what you've done and they've come alongside you and helped with this unchurched kids group and they may absolutely love that and that may absolutely be their place but you can also say this is my heart and i am so grateful for you coming along and helping and i love doing this together as a family But I am also know that you're different from me and you have a calling and you have gifts and you may have something that you really want to do in the church and to serve the community. And I want you to feel free to do that and I want to encourage you and champion you and cheer you on and facilitate you doing that just like you do that for me. And so if you ever wanted to do that, I'd love to help you find your place because it's really significant. You're really needed in this church, in this community, and I believe in you. And to just go along with that. If if having deep conversations with them isn't working, don't worry about pushing it. Find the wave that they're riding and jump on board and help them. As they grow in independence, you can encourage them to do that too. Uh, it's not a full answer, but it's my answer. <laughs> um, the other question we have is, uh, why does God heal some people and allow others to die? So I think this is a, a someone asking uh, me this question, but probably also how do I explain this whole thing to my kids? It's a toughie. Um, in session two of the Parenting for Faith course, we talk about how to answer kids' questions. And so if you want to look at the model, then then go to session two. But I'm going to try to use the model to answer how, how I would answer this question. And uh, so the first thing is I would ask, what do you think? I think we're all on this journey of figuring out what we think about this question. And and it's okay to just explore for yourself and it's okay for us to ask our kids, what do you think about this? Uh, and, and hear what their thoughts are and their struggles are and their doubts are about it, because it's really important that we give our kids space to communicate with us about stuff they're not sure about. That's what faith is. That's what co-journeying with our kids is, is allowing that flexibility of, of them saying I don't know and I don't like it or I don't know and it makes me angry uh, so that we can say it's okay, I feel that way too. So first, what what do you think and allow our kids to talk? The second thing is to say what we know. And so my answer to this would be, I don't know a full answer. I do know that God can heal and does heal. I know that he says to keep praying. I know that one day uh, in heaven and in the new heaven and new earth, there'll be no pain or disease, and I know the world is still broken. And isn't the way it will be one day when God restores everything. So I know we have a healing God. And I know that one day there will be none of this pain or hurt or disease. Then we talk about what we don't know. I don't know how or why he chooses who to heal on earth. People have lots of different theories on, on why that happens and doesn't happen. And I'm agree with some and I don't agree with others, but I I don't think anyone has one simple answer to the secrets of God's heart on this. But how I deal with it is this. I have been so frustrated by this sometimes. I have had close friends die and I prayed and prayed and prayed and they died anyways. And I've had close friends be very sick and then miraculously get better as we prayed. And so how I deal with this is I cry and I hope and I keep praying and I keep te- keep telling God how I feel about it. And I'm not afraid to tell him all my emotion and I ask him questions and I pray for healing and I ask him for his peace and to increase my hope and trust. And And I, in the end, choose to not let me seeing only a little puzzle piece of the whole thing rob me of doing life with God. I choose to be okay with not understanding it because I know one day there will be no more confusion and no more pain. And so right now I just come close to God. I tell him how I feel and I keep praying because I know it's possible. How do you feel about it? And then we have a conversation with our kids. You may totally disagree with how I answered that. That's okay. And you, some of you will think that won't work with my kids. But however you theologically choose to answer it, Asking them what they think, telling them what you know, being showing them what you don't know, and talking through how you deal with it opens up a conversation uh, in a way that helps them. So that's all the questions we have for today. If you want to ask and let me have a punt at it, I'll go get in contact and we'd love to hear from you. Welcome to the wild card section. Wildcard! Okay, so every once in a while, I just want to talk about something that you may not have thought about before. And uh, and so this is a little bit of insight into the history of children's ministry, because uh, I've run into the idea multiple places, both from parents and church leaders sometimes, that the best place for children to be on a Sunday morning is in children's ministry or Sunday school groups on a Sunday morning. And that's sort of the priority is just get those kids into those kids ministry groups, because that is going to be the best hour in the kid's spiritual life all week. And uh, my history is that I have been a children's pastor, so I value children's ministry. Um, But I just wanted to add a, a few thoughts to this debate for you as a parent. Because from the beginning of faith communities, from the beginning of when faith communities were a thing, children have been in the middle of it. If you go through scripture from Exodus um, when the Exodus happened, when everybody left Israel and went out to wander in the wilderness, kids were in the middle. There was no kids Sunday school version of the Exodus where they all had craft and they were all in their little separate line. They were in the midst of the dirt and the mess. and They were standing next to their parents when God parted the sea. They were in the middle of the singing of celebration and the fear of the chariots coming they were absolutely in the middle of their families and community when all of this happened when they saw God move when they were wandering the desert and saw the cloud all of the miracles that happened kids were in the middle of it when they conquered Jericho they were walking around the walls and in the midst of seeing the fighting when the temple was built and God moved in and and you could feel his glory so powerfully kids were there When the Israelite was under attack and King Jehoshaphat called everybody together, the kids were there in the middle, standing there, begging God for their lives and hearing him speak. When Ezra read the law together, it says the whole community wept, including children, and responded to the law and who God was was and what he was saying. When they went into exile and came back and rebuilt the walls, we hear stories of families building their part of the wall together, side by side. When Jesus taught on the hillsides, children were in the midst of that. They heard it. They wanted to run to him. They were brought to him. They gave their lunch. When Families learned about faith knew they were getting baptized in the New Testament, all together, children and adults. In the early church, when Paul wrote to churches, he even talked to children. When he said, children, obey your parents, he talked to children because he knew they would be in the room when they were all reading the stories together and reading the letters together. The early churches met together in one room with parents discipling their children at home and a community sharing with each other when they worshiped together. Throughout most of church history, children were just a part of the congregation, side by side with adults. And then something happened in the late 1700s. When society was beginning to struggle and poor families, um, were sending their children to full-time work, which meant that they weren't going to school and certain middle class and upper class people were beginning to be concerned for the moral, spiritual and societal interests of these poor children. These, these kids weren't attending school and And this guy called Robert Rakes and others before him and around that time began to create programs on a Sunday, often in the afternoon, because that was the one day you didn't have to work in the factory, um, to create a place for children to learn how to read and to be educated and to learn about God so that they could grow moral character and grow to be godly adults. And this pattern continued on, a sort of form of child evangelism alongside social good, you know, right up to the beginning of the 1900s. Um, This generally happened in the afternoon, um, with churches in general still being sort of all-age services. And then this Sunday school outreach thing was happening for the children who needed school and, you know, to boost the moral fiber of those who didn't attend church. And in the 1950s, late 1950s, there was this dramatic shift to blend afternoon Sunday school with regular morning services. And modern children's groups on a Sunday thing was born in the 1950s. And rather than these Sunday morning groups being focused on non-church families and non-church children that weren't connected to church, the groups radically changed to serving the Christian children it now sort of catered to. And out of this shift, sort of modern children's ministry was born. Uh, it was trying to improve and grow this sort of new model of spiritual development of church kids rather than non-church kids. And somehow, in the midst of all of this, we as churches and parents um, somehow morphed into believing that the church should be the center of Christian children's spiritual growth and that the church should be the expert in children's spirituality. When actually looking back over the history of God and people and church, it has always been parents surrounded by a church community of people who are inputting and supporting and encouraging the kids and the parents. So when I hear people say our kids should go to Sunday school because it is absolutely the center of the best thing for children's spirituality, I want to pause because... Because as parents, we are the best for our kids' connection with God. And the church wraps around us and encourages that and supports us. And so should our kids go to children's groups? Well, I guess that depends on where they are spiritually and if you think that's what's next for them. Because there will be some times where Your kid is like, I'd like to stay in, and rather than arguing about whether or not they should go out to kids' groups, you can say, great, we get to hear God's word in this way, and absolutely, if that's what's right for you now, go for it. And you as a parent get to be the one who makes that decision on what's right for your kid at the time, because children's ministers and children's teams are working really hard creating something that will be a benefit, that will be a blessing, that will help your kids meet with God in a unique way. But they aren't the center of children's discipleship. You as parents are. And I just want you to feel confident that the history of people with God and the history of the church backs up that truth. And with the rise of children's ministry has brought brought a, an enormous amount of blessing and good things and wonderful things. And I love children's ministry and I love children's ministers, but um, the rise of children's ministry shouldn't take away from parents um, our confidence and our joy of being the primary spiritual disciplers of our kids. And so it's up to you whether children's ministry is the best place for your kid because you've got this. So that was our <laughs> for the day. As usual, we like to end the session with uh, a question to ask your kid to start going on a conversation. So here's your conversation to start an interesting conversation with your kid this week. If you could change one thing about our church, what would it be and why? Have a good week, everybody.